0: If you have found Psalm in chapter 91 or if you have found Psalm in chapter 91, or even if you have not, would you stand your feet this morning in the honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just sixteen verses in Psalm 91, we will read all of them this morning. Beginning in verse one, the Bible says that he who dwells in the shelter You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge... Then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up in their, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Father, we thank You, God. Lord, for the mighty work, Lord, that You're doing here in our lives and in our hearts, Lord.
1: God, I thank You that mighty
0: is the cross and that, Lord, through that cross, God, We have found redemption, Lord. We have found the power to be saved, Lord, through the cross, Father. And God, this morning, Lord, I pray as we continue to look at what Your Word teaches us about living in peace, Father, that, God, we would be reminded again, Lord, of just who You are, Lord, and why we have every reason, Lord, to live a life of peace, not because of the circumstances, not because of who we are, but, God, because of who You are. Father, I ask You in Jesus' name to move in our midst this morning and to open our eyes, Lord, and to give us ears that can hear and hearts that understand. Father, I pray this morning, God, that You would save the lost Father. God, I ask, Lord, that You would anoint me, God, and I acknowledge, Lord, That God, if You will anoint me this morning and give me unction from heaven, God, that no real work will be done. But Father, if You would move, Lord, this morning in the power of the Spirit, Lord, and God, if You would anoint our services, Lord, then life will be touched, Father. People will be saved, Father. And God, You will be glorified because of it. Father, we promise to give You and You alone all the credit, God, for every good thing that takes place, Lord. Father, we ask these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This week we are uh, looking at the second part of a series that we started last week entitled, Pursuing Peace. Last week we really discussed the need to live in peace. And we looked at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 and and, and we we took a look at what the Bible says when it says that the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds, and so it is the peace of God that passes understanding, as the Word of God says, that actually guards our hearts and our minds from the attack of the enemy. And so we can see that it's important to be a people who live in peace and and who are at peace with God and who are not open uh, to attack uh, because we are always worried and anxious. And this week we're going to take a look at one of the steps in the process of really pursuing peace, living a life of peace. I'm not just talking about being peaceful for a few hours after you leave a service on Sunday morning and you're reminded of how great God is. But I mean a life that is, for the most part, a life of peace that throughout your daily life... You're not anxious and you're not worrying about tomorrow and you're not worrying about all that might go wrong, but there's a peace that rests no matter what the storms of life might be, might be raging, no matter how big the waves may be crashing against the boat, you, there's, it is a life of peace. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, the Bible tells us that we were made by Him and for Him. We were made by Him and for Him. First of all, that's a great thing this morning, that you were made by God and for God. He has a plan for your life. You were specifically created. You are the only one of you that God has ever made. And He has made you just like you are. And He has made you for Himself. What an honor to think, Uh, of of the fact that I am the only one of me that God has ever made and that there is a distinct purpose and plan for my life and that plan is for Him. And I want to suggest that the creation works best when it follows the instructions of the Creator. I want to illustrate uh, the way that this works. We have just moved homes recently and we needed a new computer desk because the one that we had was too big for the spot that we've got the computer now. And so we went down to Walmart, my wife's favorite place in the world to go. I had to argue with her about not getting married at Walmart. Getting married at a church. She loved Walmart. So we went to Walmart and we bought this new computer desk and it comes in a box and you have to assemble it. And this this... Box. I open it up and there's at least 20 pages of instructions from the Creator who created the thing about how it best works. I don't know about you, but I wasn't real interested in a 20-page brochure on how to put together a few sticks of wood. So I began putting this thing together. And listen, I got it together. It's together. And it doesn't fall over. But I got it together and I got it in place and sure enough, my wife walks in and she says, Honey, what are these three extra pieces here? I said, well, it's a special kind of cabinet that has three extra pieces. So needless to say, there's a few pieces on it that don't work the way that it's supposed to work. And I could take it apart and... Do it the way that the instructions tell you to do it. But for right now, it works. And I want to suggest that we who were created by God, when we do not follow His instruction manual for the way that we are to live and for the, the, to function the way that He created us to function, we're going to find that for the most part, we're still going to be able to make it through life. but We're still going to be able to to go about our business and wake up tomorrow and, and, and put our shoes on and, and go to work and do the things that we have to do to make it through the day. But we don't function the way we're really supposed to function. And in the area of peace, living a life of peace, living a life where in every day, no matter what comes my way, no matter what news I get tomorrow, no matter what news comes through a phone call today, I find a way to live in peace And and I find a a way to live a life that is void of anxiety and nervousness and fear and worry about what the future holds. And I don't think, I can't think of a much better scripture uh, to to hit some of these points than what we find in Psalm chapter 91. First of all, in verse 1, the Bible says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, one uh, version calls it the secret place of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I want to talk, first of all, about the shadow of the Almighty. What does it mean to rest in the shadow of the Almighty? About two years ago, not quite that long ago, my daughter Michaela was beginning to learn what a shadow was. And she was kind of fascinated with shadows and We'd kind of see if she could outrun her shadow and and was amazed at how fast her shadow was. It was just as fast as she was. And I remember, I think we were at the zoo, and we were walking. And she was watching my shadow, and she was following my shadow and trying to walk in my shadow. And that picture came to my mind when I read this here about resting in the shadow of the Almighty. Can I tell you that one of the keys to learning to live in peace is learning to rest in the shadow of the Almighty.
2: Yes.
0: And in order to be in that shadow, would you agree you can't get too far away from Him? My daughter, she would try to stay in that shadow of mine. She would start to get a little too far away from me and she'd have to hurry back up to get in that shadow. One of the keys to living in peace is learning to live a life that you are so close to God every day of your life, every minute of every hour of every day, that you never get far enough away that that shadow, if you will, spiritually speaking, of our Heavenly Father is not overshadowing us. There's something that, that brings rest about knowing I'm that close to God. I think about times where, where my daughter, she's, she's, she can be fearful or she's afraid. And if you ask her, it's funny because she claims that she's never afraid. And... Her grandpa, my father, was teasing her about this the other day, and she said, okay, well, maybe I've been scared two
2: times.
0: (laughs) But isn't it interesting, and many of you fathers and even mothers can can, can point to, to times in your life when your children have felt safest when they're up close to you. You know, the circumstance doesn't change. The, the, the thing that, they may, that may have brought about the fear still has happened or is in the process of happening, but there's something that just makes them feel better about being close to mom or dad. You see, that's how close God wants us to live to Him. Amen. I want to talk this morning, and I will continue to talk about a relationship instead of a religion. Because until we pursue a relationship with God, instead of a religion with God, the things that I'm discussing this morning will not make sense and that real peace will not really come. When God created man, you remember, they just dwelt together in the garden. And Adam walked with God in the cool of the day, the Bible says. And when we are restored to God, and and heaven is ours forevermore, those of you this morning that are children of God, we will live with Him forever and bask in His presence. We learn from the beginning and God's plan for the end that His desire for man is to live in a relationship with Him. A personal, intimate relationship. It's about a relationship and not religion. God wants us to be so close to Him that at any given time we could say, I'm underneath of His shadow. I'm walking so close to God that yes, it may be storming outside and yes, there may be things in my life that could bring about fear and worry and doubt, but I'm so close to God and His shadow is over me that I know that there's nothing that will come my way that God cannot take care of. It is living that personal life with God, that that closeness to Him, that will begin to bring about a life of peace, one that, one that does not worry and fear on a regular basis. It says, he who dwells in the shelter or the secret place of the Most High. That word there, one reason it's denoted as shelter and the other as secret place, is because it's a word that describes a, a personal place Uh, Sort of like my home. It belongs to me. It's personal to me. And so it could be my secret place. It could be my shelter. It could be both. Notice it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Is that my secret place? Is that your secret place? Whose secret place is it? Whose shelter is it? It's God's shelter. And I asked the question this morning, do you dwell in his secret place? In his shelter? And how do we dwell? Think about that word dwell. It also has a meaning to it of to abide, to live, to be somewhere on a regular basis. Me and brother Jason Thomas are great friends and brothers in Christ. And occasionally we hang out with each other. We go over to one another's house. I've been to his. He's been to mine. But it would not be fair to say that I dwell in Jason's house, would it, Jason? And it would not be fair to say that Jason dwells in my house, though we are friendly with one another. And though at times we do come over to one another's houses. That word dwell has a meaning that says this is a place that I abide. This is a place that if you were to say where am I? It would be fair to say that regularly you are here in this place. Now what's the Bible say? He who dwells or abides in that shelter or that secret place of God will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So how do we dwell in that secret place? What does that mean? This morning can I tell you that If you're gonna, one of the keys to pursuing peace, one of the keys to pursuing peace is pursuing God in such a way that as a regular part of your life, you are spending intimate, alone time with just you and God. You remember last week when we opened up this series, we looked at some of the things that were gonna have to take place in order for us to grab a hold of peace. And I made the comment last week that I'll make again. It's going to take some work. And if you think that that, that just coming and hearing this set of sermons is going to create that peace, it's not. It may help you to learn how to pursue it. But it will take work. It will take some sacrifice in your life of your time. We are to dwell in that secret place. And when we are in that secret place, it is that shelter that we get from God that protects our minds from the enemy's accusation. And I want to do my best to give you an example of what that looks like. Can I be honest and tell you that as a pastor who um, has the opportunity to um, be involved in a lot of people's lives. A lot of times I get phone calls from people that, that, that maybe there's a need in their life and they, they just want me to pray for it. That Generally speaking, I know a lot of, uh, at times, difficulties that people are going through. And when I begin to hear often the, the ways that the enemy is attacking God's people and homes that are, are being attacked, can I just be honest and tell you that anxiety and stress and fear sometimes try to grip me? I want to give you an example of how learning to dwell in that secret place begins to shelter your mind. If I don't find that time to be in that secret place, and all that I'm doing is hearing the, the negative things that are taking place, And I'm just going through life and and things are busy and we all know that life here in this day and time, in this society, is a high-paced, busy life. If I don't stop and find myself to get in that secret place, I begin to not only think about all of the things that are going wrong, if you will, but I begin to hear the accusation of the enemy that it's going to fall apart. This is going to happen, Joplin. This is going to happen. Where's God in this? And where's God in this? And I just begin to think and and meditate on all the possibilities of what could happen. Even though last week we looked at the truth that which of you can add one hour to your life or one minute to your life by worry, But it's a real thing. But when I will stop and I will move into that secret place and I have my own, a place where I try to go where it's just me and just God. And I will sit there and I will pray about these things. And a lot of times I will sit in silence. It is when I am there in that secret place. In God's secret place. When I leave my home, if you will. When I leave my place and I go somewhere to be with God in God's place. It is there that I begin to hear God say, Joplin, I'm in control. Joplin, everything's going to be okay. Joplin, I know about this, and I know about this, and I know about this, and I'm in control. And those accusations of the enemy that are that had been coming against me, all of a sudden my mind is sheltered from them. Does it mean the situations have changed? No. But it's important that secret place is where we find a place to get alone so that we can hear from God in the quietness as He tries to speak to us about these areas of our life where we're dealing with fear and anxiety and worry. One of my notes has this. The shelter has never kept a single drop of rain from falling from the sky. It only keeps the place dry while the rain is pouring down. I have a home, and I've got a roof right over my head, and it is my shelter. But there has never been a single drop of rain that didn't fall from the sky just because I had a shelter. It fell, coming straight at me, and literally feet, before it would have hit my head, it hits the roof and begins to run down the other way and drain off. God never promised that it would quit raining. Matter of fact, He said it rains on the just and the unjust. But He promised that He would be a shelter in the midst of the storm. He is our secret place. We find that peace, that that peace when we live in that secret place of God. God wants quantity and quality time. He wants quantity and And quality time. It's important. Talk about pursuing peace. If you're a person here this morning, that anxiety and fear and worry and doubt are a part of your life. If you will get a hold of this principle of the secret place and begin to pursue it and live in it, it will change your life. For me... I started with about 15 minutes a day. Which seemed like a lot. But I started with about 15 minutes a day. And I found that I I would give God 15 minutes of a day. Where I would turn off the TV, whether it was getting up early, whatever it was, and just give God 15 minutes. I thought to myself, I can do 15 minutes. An hour seems like a lot. I'm really busy, but I can do 15 minutes. I would find that that became the place where I would really hunger for God. And I began to find that there were times where 15 minutes was just not enough. And I began to find that for me, I really need about an hour every day. And there's times in, in my own personal secret place where I will sit there for minutes and minutes and minutes and hear nothing. But after 30 45 minutes, I begin to hear God speak to me about some of these things in my life that I'm stressing about and that I'm worrying about and that I'm having fears with. You see, God wants your time as well. He wants a relationship with you. Men, how many of you, and I I, I want to say this kindly, kind of jokingly, But at the same time, I really want you to think about what I'm going to ask you here. How many of you would have a good relationship with your wife if you were committed to spending less than five minutes a day with her? No hands, so apparently none of you. How many of you spend more than five minutes a day with God? Women, I would ask you the same question. How many of you would have a strong, intimate relationship with your husband if you were committed to spending only five minutes a day with your husband? And Now I ask you the same question. How many of you spend more than five minutes a day in the alone time with God? You see, God wants us first. I ask the question the way that I ask it because it's so important. It's about a relationship. It's not about a religion. And that peace comes from being in that intimate, deep relationship with God where we know Him and where He speaks to us and where we can fall at His feet and share with Him our heart. You know, the closer that I've got to God and the more time that I've spent in that quiet place, the more that my prayers become authentic. It wasn't until I moved into that at least 15 minutes of secret place that my prayers moved from this, "Oh, Thou great God who art far away, hear my prayer, and, and do these magic majestic things for us, that it began to be something that was real. Like, God, I'm hurting. And God, I'm scared. And God, I know that You see everything I have, so I'm going to quit pretending that I'm not. And I'm just going to acknowledge it, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to ask you to, to, to meet it. It wasn't until I began to build that relationship with God that I began to see Him the same way He called me, as a friend. Remember what Jesus told His disciples? It's one thing to be a servant, but it's another thing to be a friend. And I've called you friends. And no greater love hath a man than this that He lay down His life for His friends. And He would go on and do that later. Do you see God as a friend? Or do you just see Him as a uh, a ruler that, that wants you to do this and this and this, and you must obey Him at all costs. Because He's more than that. He's a friend. He's a Father. But until we, friends, until we get a hold of that and pursue Him as a friend and pursue Him as a Father and spend that time with Him, that peace, that shelter, that secret place, that shadow, it, it's something but, but a distant memory, something that we don't understand. That's why I say, peace is ours for the taking. But it does take some work. That secret place this morning. I want to challenge you to begin to, to, to find it. Why is it important? Why is it important to find that secret place? I want to draw your attention to the book of 1 Kings in chapter 19. You can turn there with me if you want, or I can just read it to you. But let me tell you the background. In 1 Kings chapter 19, I love this story. Because it shows us the authenticity. Of the people that God has used. How many of you have heard of the prophet Elijah? And that's a pretty common name. You might not know a lot about him, but you've heard his name. Just literally, literally, I'm not exaggerating, literally. The day before or a couple days before, what I'm about to read to you. Elijah has experienced the greatest victory in all of his life. Elijah, if you remember, was going to be killed. He was going to be slaughtered. The king and the queen hated Elijah. And Elijah said this. He said, look, let's have a showdown. You bring all your prophets and you let, and they can all come together and I'll come by myself. And we're going to build a couple of altars. And you build an altar, and I'll build an altar. And then we'll cry out to God. And whoever's God answers by fire from heaven is whose God is God. And there was almost 800 prophets that showed up that were Baal worshippers and that were false prophets that showed up for this showdown against Elijah. And the Bible records days before what I'm about to read that these prophets called out to God and they prayed all day long and they even cut themselves as the custom was of many of the sorcerers and, 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 the, and the people who practiced uh, divination in, in that time. And they called out to God and there was no fire. And Elijah, he mocked them a little bit. He said, well, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe He just can't hear you. Maybe you should try a little louder. And so they'd cry out louder. He said, well, maybe your God's on vacation. I don't know. Maybe He's just not around. And they would get mad and angry. And finally, it was Elijah's turn. And there's 800 people there ready to kill him and slaughter him. And Elijah says, before I go and before I pray, let's dig a moat around that altar and let's fill it with water. And so they do this and they fill it with water. He says, okay, before I pray, let's go ahead and take water and soak the wood. Pour it all over it. And then I'll pray. And so they take water and they pour it all over the wood and that moat is filled with water. Elijah wanted to make sure of one thing. You understand something. When this thing catches on fire, it's not by any power I had, but it came from the one that I serve. And Elijah prays to God this short prayer. About 60 words. And fire literally falls from heaven. It consumes All of the wood, the water, it's licked up with fire and everybody says, your God is God. There's a great slaughter of all of the false prophets and literally, in my opinion, the greatest victory that Elijah ever saw in all of his life has happened. Two days later, possibly the very next day, Elijah is hiding in a cave in fear. Why? Number one, because He's a man. It's One of the great things about the the Scriptures is that they show us the authenticity of the people. And that God uses ordinary people just like you and me to do the work of God. That's reason number one. But you know what? The queen told Elijah. She sent a message to him. She said, Elijah, what is done to those prophets will be done to you, and it will be done shortly. And Elijah, rather than seeing himself in the hands of God, Elijah began to see himself slaughtered like the many prophets that he had seen just days before. And the accusation of the enemy, understand this, I'm hoping this starts to make sense as we begin to see what peace is about. It doesn't mean we're never going to have problems. It doesn't mean we're never going to have difficulties. But it means in the face of them, there is one who is greater than every problem that could ever come our way. And he is in control. But Elijah began to listen to the accusations of the enemy, and they rolled around up here. And he began. Would you agree that's quite a sight to see 800 or more people slaughtered in a day, and Elijah was a part of it? Would you agree? I, I don't mean to be gruesome, I know that we're having, we got a lot of the young kids here this morning, but would you agree that was a gruesome event? And he began to see himself like that, rather than in the hands of God. And Elijah, he gets up and he leaves and he runs for his life in fear and he's in a cave all alone. Have you ever felt like you're in a cave all alone? There's nobody but me here. There's nobody that understands what I'm going through. I can't even go out of this cave because my life is in danger, spiritually speaking. It's just you and you're all alone. That is where Elisha was. And don't feel ashamed this morning because he was a man of God and he found himself there two days later. But God brought him out and we're going to see how God brought him out. This is why it's so important to find that secret place. Beginning in verse 10. Let's start in verse 9. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave and then the voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? The voice of God came through that small, still voice. I spent the first three years of my Christian life, probably the way many of you are spending yours right now. I knew that God could speak. And so I basically told God how He could speak. Here's what I said. God, I'm gonna do this, and if you don't want me to do it, you make it real clear through some sign or something. So I'd walk outside and I'd look up to the sky maybe to see if there were some big words written in clouds. Joplin, do this. And I'd never go to that secret place where I could hear that still small voice. And I would always blame everything that happened on God because, well, God, you could have told me and so it's your fault. I mean, you know you could have. God, you had no power to put words in the sky and you didn't, so I guess this is your will for me. And all the time he was trying to speak to me through a still, small voice and I was never hearing him. You see, God wants you to be alone with Him where He can speak with you and where you can hear from Him. And I want to suggest that in the the high-paced society that we live, it's just noise all day long. How many of you, when you wake up, you quickly get around to go to work, and on your way to work, you listen to music or you listen to noise, even if it's a talk show or whatever. And then you're at your work and it's noise all day. And then on your way home, you've got noise on and you're listening to the radio or you're listening to something else. And then when you get home, you flip the TV on. I can only talk about me this morning, so that's what I'll talk about. But can I tell you, there's been times in my life that I didn't feel comfortable if the TV wasn't on. I didn't care if I was watching it or not. I just needed to hear the noise. Flip it on and walk out of the room. As long as there's noise. Because there's something that would begin to happen with me in the silence that I didn't like. I'd start to hear from God. I'd start to think about things that probably really needed change in my life. I'd start to think about the fact that I was spinning my wheels so fast and going 100 miles an hour that I was neglecting the important things of life. And I didn't like to think about that. It was a lot easier just to turn on the noise and just keep going. But all the time, God's saying, Joplin, if you want to live in peace... You're going to have to pursue me. And it's in that that still, small voice that you're going to hear me. You've been doing this now for three or four years, son, and you found out, yeah, you're right. I could, if I wanted to, fly some sign in the sky, but I choose not to because I want your time and I want you. God wants your attention. You know, the Bible says that he is a jealous God. He wants your attention. He wants to know that out of everything that's going on in life. And yes, life is busy. Is He most important? Is He the one that that when no matter what's going on, He's the one that gets your time? Or is He like third or fourth or fifth? Because it's in that quiet place that we hear that still small voice that will begin to calm the fears, that will say, Elijah, by the way, You don't happen to know all there is to know. I've actually reserved lots of prophets, and you're not the only one. But it wasn't until he heard that still, small voice that God spoke that to him. In Mark, in chapter 1, we learn something about Jesus. I don't have the time to... I'm going to try to close and wrap up as fast as I can this morning. I don't have much time to spend on this point. But I think that Jesus Christ, as a man, experienced more stress and reason, let me say this, reason to worry and fear and doubt than any man who has ever walked the face of the earth. You see, he had a much, I mean, he knew what was going to take place. He had a much better understanding than you and I about what tomorrow was going to hold and about what his future eventually, well, he even knew when it was going to happen. He would often say, my time has not yet come, but when his time come, what did he say? Now is the time. Imagine being being, knowing that you are the Son of God and imagine knowing that you have a mission and imagine knowing that death is part of it. And imagine knowing that many of the people who you would speak to that you loved and that you were going to lay your life down for would not hear you. Would you agree that Jesus knew what it was like to deal with stress? And I think this is one of the reasons that we see Jesus so often alone with God. In verse 35 of Mark chapter 1, it says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place there it is he left and went to that alone place with god where he prayed simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him they exclaimed everyone is looking for you i want to try to move this morning as fast as i can but i also don't want to i don't want to not take the time to properly deal with this how many of you know that Jesus did not have an alarm clock? I don't think he did. not that I know of. We will give him the credit that he was the divine Son of God. but for me this is a difficult scripture because I've got an alarm clock and it's hard for me to get up before long before the sun comes up. And then it goes on to tell us when Simon found him would you agree that if all the people are looking for him, this is probably quite some time after, long before the light came up? Jesus is up. He goes into that alone place. It's a long time before the light come up, still dark outside. And when Simon finally finds him, enough time has transpired that all the people are looking for him. I can promise you one thing, it was more than 15 minutes. And if the divine Son of God, with all of the power that he had, as a regular part of his life, had to spend this much time alone with God, how much less you and I? It's about a relationship, not a religion. He died for you this morning so that you could live in a relationship with him. And God wants our undivided attention. That's what he wants. He wants you to find that place where He has all of you. Men, would you... I don't want to get you in trouble here. But how many of you have ever noticed that when your favorite football game is on, there's always something real important your wife wants to talk about? Am I the only one who's ever noticed that? that when... Grandma says, be careful, grandson. <laughs> Why is that? Could it be because she wants to know that she's the most important thing to you and that there's nothing more in your life important to you than her? I've noticed, and I've my wife can probably testify to this, I try to do a better job of it. I don't do as a good a good job as as I always should, but I promise you do a lot better job than I used to. When I would get home and she would want to talk to me about the day, I'd just walk right past her. She's talking. And I'm in there in the kitchen doing some things. And I can tell she quits talking because she thinks I wasn't listening. And I would say something like this, so oh, I'm listening. Go ahead. And I'm still doing my thing. And then I come back in and look at her for a few seconds and walk past back into the room. And I'm listening. Go ahead. And eventually she just quit talking. Why? She wants my attention, that's why. Really, she could care less if I say I'm listening, because I'm not. There's other things that are going on at the same time. And this is a good time to say that men and women, there's a time that you need to be sure that you're giving your husband and your wife some undivided attention, just to him or just to her. But if God is a jealous God, How much more does He deserve your undivided attention? Not that quick prayer right as you're going out the door. Not that those are bad. Not that those arrow prayers are not needed because they are. But brothers and sisters, that's not enough. God died for more than that. He wants to live in a personal, intimate relationship with you. And it is in that secret place. It is in that quiet place. It is in that alone time that you will begin to find the shelter from the storm. It doesn't mean that the rain is not going to stop. It doesn't mean that you're not going to hear lightning outside. It doesn't or see lightning and hear the roll of thunder. It, God did not promise those things would not take place. But He did promise that through all of that, He would shelter us. And it's in that secret place where you can hear that still, small voice that God will begin to combat the accusations of the enemy. This morning we're going to share something special, an object lesson. A dear friend of ours that knows what it's like to see the storm coming, to see it increase, to see the lightning, to hear the thunder. And for the lightning and the thunder not to stop, But to continue, and for the storm to rage on, but to learn what it means to live in that secret place of God and find that shelter. Susie, if you would, would you share with us? And would you use a microphone, please?
1: I wondered how I I was going to share this with the message, because we talked about it. But um, now I know exactly what he wanted me to say, and that's kind of what I prayed for. Um, This passage of Scripture, most of you guys know, ten years ago I was widowed. And this passage of scripture was really important to Maury, my husband, and um, he shared it one night, a Sunday night at our church. He had recorded um, a CD. In fact, some of the songs went right along with this. Sometimes he calms a storm. Other times he calms his child. He had no idea he had cancer when he he um, did this CD, and it was in December. And he found out February 4th he was full of cancer. It was everywhere. He was in his lungs, in his liver. Um, two places on his spinal cord in his brain but this whole passage of scripture the, night his C- or the week his CD came out that following Sunday night he shared it at our church and he shared why he picked each song and he shared how you know different scripture had ministered to him but he basically used this whole passage so when Joplin said last week he was going to do Psalm 91 um, memories just flooded and I remember how he found that secret place and how precious that was to him and he shared each verse. And the very next day, and it was a, it was a really sweet service, um, were his circumstances any different? Did it change anything? No, he was still full of cancer. He was doing chemo and radiation at the same time, and every time he'd go back, it was worse. It never got better, never slowed it down. But the very next day, I got a phone call from a friend that we had both gone to high school with, and she um, had moved here from Australia and went all the way through junior high, high school, college, and moved back. And her whole family stayed here, and they all became U.S. citizens except for her. But we've always stayed in touch. And she and her husband had visited us one time, and we shared the gospel with him. And that's why this meant so much to me. But she called the following day, and there's a big time difference between Australia and the United States, so I don't even know what day it was there, but it was the very next day for us. And she wanted to know how Maury was doing. She'd been calling and emailing friends and trying to, you know, not bother us. But she just wanted to know how he was doing. She said, Susie, will you tell him to read Psalm 91? And I just, I said, Jillian, he just shared that last night at our church. And she got real quiet. She didn't say much more. And um, two days later, I received an email. And I, I called this, in fact, if I ever get this, I'll put in a book. I'm, this is going to be called Daily Confirmations, because, um, and I don't want to make this funny or it, make a joke about it, but it's kind of like that V8 commercial where they bop you in the head, and I just felt like God just over and over and over that week um, showed, showed us. But on a Wednesday, I got an email, and it was a story about the, uh, uh, the forest fires that had taken place in Yellowstone National Park. And the boys and Maury and I had just been there a couple of years before and we had seen the after effect of the fire and it was it was heartbreaking to see these trees that were you know hundreds of feet high just burned up and black and there was all this lush undergrowth that was there and it was beautiful found out that the intense heat is the only thing that will release those um, pine cones certain kinds of pine cones form to open up for the seeds to reseed and so that's how God takes care of that and we had learned a lot of lessons through that but Anyway, I got this email, and it talked about that, and it talked about after they would burn out and cool down enough, the forest rangers would walk through and measure off and assess the damage, how many acres. And while they were walking along, one of the forest rangers saw a bird that had burned up so quickly that it was like a statue. It was just ashes. It was gray, and it was on the ground at the base of a tree. And it just sickened him to think, you know, how that bird had tied, and he hit it with a stick, and when he did, baby birds came out from under its wings. And then it gave the same scripture, Psalm 91.4. And on Friday that week, I received this quilt, and it was from my friend Jillian, and this is why she was so, um, if you've been to my house, you've seen it up on the wall. She called it Maury's Comfort Quilt, and I got a precious letter, and I've, I've got all this stuff. If you ever want to see it, I'll show it to you. But she sent me a precious letter and explained she made this quilt um, out of flannel. And they're on the other side of the equator, so it was the middle of the summer there. And so she was sewing this in the middle of the summer. And she had embroidered on it. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Psalm 91.4. And I got that the same week. And it didn't change our circumstances. Maury still was sick, but we knew that we were covered and that even though that rain was coming down, um, we weren't going to get wet, and he was going to take care of us. And I, I really i am so thankful. You know, you don't always get the handwriting across the sky or whatever, but I'm so thankful. Um, this probably gave me more peace, and I, I think that's probably why when he did die, I was okay because I knew he had me covered and I knew I was going to be all right and I just stayed in his scripture and I stayed in his word and I kept trusting him. But um, that secret place is an amazing place. I could tell you a lot more but don't want to run over.
0: Ask our worship team to come at this time. In closing, God wants you to live in peace. Next week we're going to look at how do we live in peace when we've messed things up? Uh, Because sometimes it's one thing when it's a storm going on, but a lot of times when we mess things up, it's a little harder to live in peace. Next week, we're going to look at overcoming, learning to overcome that fear and trust in God through the promises of God. I want to say that if you're going to live in peace, the first thing you've got to do is have peace with God. You can't have peace with yourself And you can't have peace with your family, and you can't have peace in life until you first have peace with God. God loves you and has a plan for your life this morning. He gave His Son on Calvary's Hill so that we could find that peace, so that we could be reconciled to Him. And if there's a need in your life this morning, you're in the presence of God. I want to ask you this morning, is there any need in your life? Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you'd say, Pastor, I've really never had peace with God. I've never been right with God. I've never accepted His forgiveness and turned to follow Him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Father, we thank You, Lord, for the fact that, Lord, You desire us to spend time with You. God, I think about Your Scripture, Lord, that says, Who is man that You are mindful of him? And God, why You love us the way You love us, I don't know. But Father, we love You because You first loved us. And Father, I pray, Lord, right now, God, that You'd move upon our hearts, Lord, that that there may be some, some things, God, in our lives that we just need to release to You this morning. God, I believe there's probably many here this morning, God, and that may be an understatement, that, Lord, You're speaking to about finding that secret place, Lord, as an everyday part of their life, God, with just You just Him, but just you and just her. Father, there's probably some right now, Lord, God, that You're speaking to about coming to know You for the first time. And we just ask You to finish Your work this morning. Have Your way and have Your will in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, all heads are bowed and all eyes are closed, and you would say, Pastor, I need peace with God talk about peace with my family and peace with myself and peace with this and that but I need peace with God first would you pray for me this morning pastor if that's you would you put your hand up and right back down I won't come to you and I won't call you out thank you thank you thank you I won't call you out thank you hands right back down pastor I just need peace with God for those of you that raised your hands there were ten of me this morning that raised your hands you listen God has provided that peace and you're not here by accident this morning But he's a gentleman, and he's not going to force you to accept him this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to come forward and make peace with God. Maybe you're hearing you say, Pastor, I'm a Christian this morning, but peace is something that's foreign to me, and I know God wants it for me, and I want to pursue it. Would you pray for me? Would you put your hand up and write back down? Thank you. Thank you. As they begin to sing, there's a need in your life this morning, we're going to ask you to come forward and let somebody pray with you. I'll praise you. We've got others that will pray with you here in the altars. If there's a need in your life, if you need to have peace with God this morning, won't you come and make that decision? These altars are open. Some are coming. Won't you come too?
2: you come, come and comfort